thinking about the past 50 years of public ministry, a lot of things that I remember, a lot of things that I think upon, and there's some things that we are to forget. You remember the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. We don't live in the past. We're to move forward. And, of course, in the context of what he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, he was talking about all that he'd gained in this world and all of his wretched life before that was to be put behind and to move forward. There are the times when we are taught to remember. When you read through the Psalms, you'll find the psalmist remembered God's dealing in time past, remembered his faithfulness. You find all throughout the Old Testament that God reminds Israel of what he did for them in bringing them out of Egyptian bondage. And I think of the great truth that I have found experientially that God is absolutely faithful to his word. He has never promised anything that he does not fulfill. He has never declared something prophetically that he will not bring to pass. And that's a tremendous truth when we comprehend it and we lay hold of it. God is faithful. I think of those who came out of Egyptian bondage. And uh, you remember those spies, 12 spies who were sent out. And of course they came back with a terrible report out of unbelief. Except for two of them. You remember their names. Joshua and Caleb. Only those two and the children born in the wilderness entered into Canaan. Those who came out of Egyptian bondage fell in the wilderness. Two, Caleb and Joshua. The scripture says because they followed the Lord wholly. God is faithful. When Joshua entered into Canaan and when through God's enablement the land was taken and uh, those seven tribes were defeated the scripture says there fell not aught of anything which the Lord had promised unto the house of Israel all came to pass God is faithful and we're to trust our faithful God but my mind and heart this week was on Matthew chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to, to begin reading at verse 19. I'll read through the end of the chapter. But then our text particularly is going to be taken from verse 24. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning... At verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be, also the light of the body is the eye 
If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Well, a very young Christian, I didn't know a whole lot, but I laid hold of those last two verses there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what you need to serve God, will be added unto you. Um, those verses played a great part in my resigning from the radio station to which I was employed, not knowing where I would go. And... Uh, from that day to this, there have been many trials, heartaches, disappointments, joys, victories, and God has been faithful to his word. He has always met everything necessary to serve him. It's been an amazing trip for me. It's been an amazing journey. As a matter of fact, my loved wife, who is a writer, and a very skilled writer, and a very spiritual woman, she's thinking about writing a book about that ministry. If she does, you'll be in it, and many others we've known over the years. But I can testify that God is absolutely faithful to everything he has promised in his word. But he also brings us into a great responsibility and he teaches us things that from the lips of the Son of God ring true to our hearts. And this we find in verse 24 of Matthew 6. 
No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. In Scripture, there are certain verses that are quite well known. I would venture to say this is one of them. But not very well known as far as meaning and application. Deception is here as dangerous as in, in any other area whatsoever. There are many. There are many who fool themselves into thinking that they can serve both God on the one hand and the world in its ways on the other hand. There are many who thought that. Problem. The ways of the world and the ways of God are diametrically opposed. The one can never be compatible with the other. So that it is impossible to serve two opposed enemies. And that's what we have, as we shall see. It is impossible to serve two opposed enemies. Arthur Pink quoted from an unknown source, and I but here repeat, he who has his eye partly on God and partly on self, who desires and endeavors to grasp both worlds, deceives his own soul. Such a one is in danger of losing both, and if he does not, he certainly will miss the kingdom of God. Our minds must be fixed supremely upon God in Christ. And the world sought only in strict subservience to him. Our hearts must be given to the Lord, holy and without reserve. And the eyes of our soul be fixed upon him alone. Here then is the reason why spiritual blindness must inevitably be our portion unless both our eyes are fixed steadfastly on a heavenly object. A man's affections cannot be divided. If he attempts to love the things of the world as well as love God, he will certainly fail of the latter. For the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Worldliness is described by John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 2 as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those things are always there to allure, to tempt, to attempt to draw the heart off of Christ and to the baser things of self-seeking. The heart in Scripture is the main thing. It is, if you please, the control center of your life. And think about that. What is in your real desire, what you really want, 
It's what you will think upon. It will influence, of course, the plans you make and the path you pursue. And it can cause neglect of things that are supremely more important. So the Lord has distinctly declared that you cannot have your heart's treasure both in earth and in heaven. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's a very searching thing that our Lord teaches here. It's not both. It's one or the other, the Lord is saying. It's not both. It's not either or. It's one or the other. And it's not only the pursuit of wealth. They that will be rich fall into great temptation and a snare. That is, when that's the goal of one's life, and they go after riches for their goal, they're going to be ensnared. They're going to have great trouble. Some of God's people are wealthy, but that was not what they sought. Our Lord, for three days, lay in a borrowed tomb. It was from a rich man. We are convinced that knew the Lord and loved him. But we'll deal with this a little later. If the desire for the world and its things take the heart on the one hand, then worry about not having enough can just as easily cause a problem on the other hand. You see, the Lord says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is not to be what you do. Let your treasure be in heaven. And then he goes on to say, to trust him in essence, seek his kingdom and not worry about tomorrow, that he'll take care of the things that are needed. But as we say, it's always a heart matter. This is consistent with within the parable of the sower and the seed, of the parable that would fall into uh, that ground where weeds would grow up and choke out the fruit. And he says, the cares of this world, that's the worry about things and riches. That's the wrong pursuit. That those things will choke out the word. That one becomes unfruitful. It's interesting to me that when we read this passage, you have this forbidding of the believer to lay up treasure on earth, to have his treasure in heaven. And then you have that which kills worry if one is truly trusting Christ and seeking those things of God. It's very interesting that right in the middle of that, you have verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
So here we have an impossibility. We have an impossibility. No man can serve both God and mammon. Well, <laughs> that requires we know something about mammon, doesn't it? If we're going to understand. Mammon here, of course, we know as we read the text, if you don't even know what the word means, you comprehend that we have a rival to God. Whatever mammon is, it's a rival to the true and living God. And it's personified. It's personified as a lord or master that controls one. They're enslaved to whatever this is. And it takes the place of God in the heart when mammon is what they serve. In essence, then, mammon, like many other things, is an idol god. Whatever or whoever takes your heart, your desires, your plans, your pursuits, in essence, that's your god. That's your god. You can be said then to serve this. Yielding to its commanding draw. Pursuing it as your goal. Esteeming it as your highest good. As your desired treasure. When David prayed, O God, thou art my God. When you read the Psalms, you find that David often beginning with his relationship to his God. O God, thou art my God, as he says, early will I seek thee. He was saying that there was no rival to be allowed a place in his heart. No rival. No earthly possession, no earthly pursuit controlled him. Nothing. No one else would take the love, the delight. And how few know how to delight themselves in the Lord. He delighted in his God. He was the joy of his heart. He was a greater joy than everything in this world. He spoke in one psalm as God my exceeding joy. All he was, all he had, and he was wealthy. As far as the world, God had given him wealth. He died a wealthy man, as far as those things are concerned. But that's not where his heart was. Everything he had was dedicated to the service of his God. Everything he had, he recognized, came from him. And was consecrated to him. He had sweet fellowship and communion with his God. That was his one driving desire. That's why we should stop and pay close attention when he says in Psalm 27, For one thing have I desired of the Lord. Not earthly riches. No more than Solomon later wanted earthly riches or prayed for that. 
not earthly riches. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Not that I can lay up for myself and plan great and vast trips in this world and enjoy myself when I retire. No. It wasn't self and the fulfilling of selfish desires that was his desire. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. The more Christ the Lord is unfolded to you in the word, the more beautiful he becomes. Indeed. Mammon, yes, it can include money, but it's not limited to money. It can be many things. It can be wealth, it can be property, it can be material things, it can be clothes. Whatever is of earthly acquisition can be meant by it. But in the sense, as I endeavored to study the etymology of that word and find out about it, it means to be controlled by these things, enslaved to them. This is what takes the life, the desire, the heart, the pursuit. So is it wrong to have things? No. It is wrong to fail to recognize, as David did, as recorded in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 14. All things come of thee. And of thine own have we given thee. David was saying everything I have has come from thee. O my God. O Jehovah. And everything given to thee is but giving back what has been given. We have nothing but what has been given us. We have nothing but what has come from the mercy and goodness of God to us. The problem is when what God has given us is not set apart for his glory, for his honor. When it's not dedicated to serving him but selfishly sought only to fulfill fleshly desires to be our goal in this world to be comfortable to use John's words that's the case we're going to have a hard time when persecution comes aren't we John then it will not simply be you having things it would be things having you having your heart your desire your pursuit your plans your activities governed by an enslavement to things if God and God alone is truly the desire of your heart if serving him honoring him is the pursuit of your life if loving him is the supreme object of your heart. Then everything else you have, time, treasure, talents, will be at his disposal. 
in the parable of the unjust steward in verse or, or in uh, Luke chapter 16 we also have mammon set over against true riches if you want to look in Luke 16 we'll read it and we have a warning of course that's given in Luke chapter 16 In verses 10 through 13. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The sense would be to, to be that in the context of this world, earthly possessions are considered unrighteous. Why? They're part of the fallen world. A world that has been fallen from God. Those earthly possessions are not permanent. They're temporary. We came into this world with nothing. Guess what we're going to leave it with? Nothing. Earthly possessions shall perish with the rest of the world one day. And yet our temporary possessions, the least thing, the least things are what we have in this world. Our temporary possessions are to be consecrated to the service of God. To honor his name and to serve. And if we're not faithful to God in these least things, in the things God has given us in this world, if we're not faithful to him in these least things, we won't be faithful in the greater things either. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is just unjust also in much. If we're not faithful in these least and passing things, how could we expect to receive the true eternal riches that belong only to the children of God. Riches we can't even comprehend now. Riches in Christ. Riches that are real. Riches that won't tarnish. Riches that no thief can steal. Where do they come from? 
Where do our true riches, eternal riches, come from? Do we earn them? No. No, we don't earn these true riches. We don't get them by our own efforts. Because you and I, in turning to our own way from the living and true God, to whom we owe our existence and all we have, you and I, in turning our way from the living God, selfishly seeking our own things apart from Him, not only that walking in transgression and sin and vileness in mind and seeking it in activity, the most painful memories a child of God has is past sin acts before conversion. That oftentimes causes a true child of God to repent and seek God's forgiveness again as if it were the first time they were doing it. That sometimes causes a great deal of problem with one. And if one is not disturbed and grieved over their past life, I dare not say they've never come to know him. They've never come to know the gloriousness of redeeming grace and love and mercy that cleanses sin, washes it away, brings no condemnation, puts them in the position where their sins are gone. Yeah, I know we sinned in Adam. That's, these are but branches. But that's the way we recognize and we remember sin. So what did we earn? The wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. We by sin denied God. We denied in our actions and our sinfulness in the lust of the flesh and the pride that sought our own ways and wanted our own exaltation and things. We denied the God who created us. We refused his rightful claim upon us. We rebelled by seeking our own self-centered will while rejecting his commands and his right ways. This is where the marvel of God's grace comes in, isn't it? This is where the marvelous grace of God comes in. Such grace, God by grace, gives he gives freely, without cost, without price on our part. Out of a love that loved us in spite of us. Have you ever truly embraced the love of God in Christ? I have to ask myself that. <laughs> have we really embraced the love of God in Christ? I find it amazing, astounding. I find the mercies of God astounding. Don't you? I have to believe in his sovereign will. Why he loved. Chose to love whom he would. Not because of us. In spite of us. I'm not a worthy object of God's love. I'm an unworthy object. 
You and I have to cry out like Jacob of old, I'm not worthy of the least of God's mercies or of his truth. I haven't earned anything from God. What I earned is death. The marvel of God's grace. It comes in freely. Out of a love that loved us in spite of us. That calls us out of the fallen condition in this world. And bestows upon us an incredible gift. An incredible gift. Yeah, we think of the wonders of divine incarnation this time of year. Well, I think of it all time of year. And what it cost God to give us a gift. The costliest gift ever given was given by God. He gave his son. And though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is what? Eternal life. That's not life only in duration. That is, it's everlasting. That's the richness of God's grace in giving us the life of his Son. Newness of life is the life of Christ in one. It is a glorious reality. And when the Lord gives life to us, He doesn't give it barely. barely. He doesn't say, well, yeah, you know, you don't deserve it, but here, here, I'll give you a little bit of this. No. He didn't give us a bareness of life. I am come, said our Lord, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the abundant life. The worldling, the mere religionist thinks that life in this world is what he can gather from it and all the joys he can get from it and all the activities he can do in it. Knows nothing of true happiness. Nothing of true joy. But to know Christ. Is to have abundant life. It overflows from him to us. It is glorious and wondrous. There is nothing in this world to compare to it. Until we get back. To proclaiming the gospel that God uses to bring that about. We're not going to see any changes in the world. How very rich. When knowing that in order to give us this abundant life, to bestow upon us the glorious riches of his grace, he gave up his own riches. He laid down his own life for us.
to the Corinthians, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. What did he own? What were his riches? Everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All his riches. He bore the glory and manifestation of his deity, his glorious person as God, equal, one nature with the Father. He put it all aside. He came into this world in poverty. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head in his life. Some kind women helped and provided for him somewhere along the line. And he died the most cruel death imaginable. For us. For us. Who have been called. By that gospel. Who have come. In contriteness of heart. To look upon Jesus Christ crucified as our salvation. To trust him. To surrender ourselves. To be no longer our own. But his who died for us and rose again. He gives us his riches at the expense of himself becoming poor. He alone has gained eternal riches for us. Riches we have not yet fully received. Riches in heaven. greatest of our riches himself he gave us himself no wonder he called us out of the world He says, if you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. No matter, we may say no wonder, that in the knowledge of things eternal, with heart on things above, with a true reality of Christ and eternal treasure, Eternal inheritance promised to the saints. Seeing things that were not able to be seen, comprehended by the natural man. Our brethren of old were willing to part from what they owned in this world when the world hated them, when the world took their earthly properties some of them their lives. As in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. They took joyfully the spoiling of their goods 
knowing that in heaven they had a better substance, a more glorious inheritance. God help us. God help us not to have our hearts on the things we have for only a short time in this world. To spend our time, our efforts, our talents to get things. To hold loosely to what we have because we're not going to keep it anyway. And to wholeheartedly worship and serve the eternal God who saves with an everlasting salvation. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Well, then what is the, the result, the inevitable result, for those who vainly think they can serve both God and mammon. They just hold both. There's who, evidently, who think they can do so. Those who have never truly gotten to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ don't have one of their own either. Can I repeat that? Those who've truly never gotten to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ don't have one of their own either. They will always divide what they think their Christian observance from the life in this world. They always put a distinction. They can profess with the lips what is not in their hearts. Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. They do their religious duties, but they don't really serve the true and living God. They don't really bear fruit to the glory of God. They can sectionalize what they deem their religious duties from their home life, their secular life, and their activities. And their true treasure yet remains earthly. And their hearts bound to what they possess in this world. That's always been the case with the false religions or the false religionists. That happened in the Old Testament time. In Ezekiel chapter 33, God says concerning Ezekiel, he'll go, he preach the word of God. He said, the people come, they sit before you, they hear you preach. Why, they even delight in hearing him preach. Oh, that was such a good message. That can be detrimental. The preacher that offends no one is not preaching the truth. They come before you. They sit before you. They hear your preaching. They hear my word. But you know what he says their heart goes after? Their heart goeth after their covetousness. That takes their time, their activities, 
their desires, their hearts, the world, and the things of it. The world and what they can acquire in it always is in their hearts, worldliness. And it wins out over the things of God when there's a conflict. I've been in the ministry a long time, 50 years. It's a pretty long time, isn't it? 50 years. I've witnessed and seen things over and over and over again. I don't think I can recall ever when the I heard someone say, well, preacher, I really want to be there and try to be there, but I got this other thing that's come into conflict, and I'm going to try to be there. I don't recall them ever being there. That thing takes it. That other thing is more important. People can't get to church, but they can get to wherever they want to. Never make it to prayer meeting, but no problem going to other places. There's some deception somewhere. There's a problem. They will seek and serve what rules their hearts and neglect him who is Lord alone. The word serve in verse 24. Twice really in that verse. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word serve. Does not mean occasional acts of service. You know what it means? It means to be a slave. It means to be a bondservant. That is one who does not belong to themselves anymore. They belong to another. Belonging to another. Given up to him. To belong to him and him alone. Even then in our earthly activities, our work, our leisure, our possessions. All are to be consecrated to the glory of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. That's the way, my dear brother John, that's the only way we will stand firm. If we truly belong to him and not ourselves. And whatever comes in our course in this world. And whatever we do, there's a tremendous thing taught us by the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, from the heart, from the desire, from the inward part. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. From him we receive the reward of the inheritance. It's a reward of grace, not that we earn it or merit it. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. If that's done in truth, that'll make a great difference in the way we 
have our attitude to our work, our activities, whatever it is. It'll govern a different attitude. Again, Pink, commenting on the impossibility of serving two opposing masters, wrote, There are two different words in the Greek which both mean other. But the one signifies another of the same kind or order while the second denotes another of an entirely different genus or sort. When Christ here declared no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he employed the latter term, signifying a master diametrically opposed to the other. No one can be devoted unto two different and opposing masters. The fallen world and God are opposites. Is it any marvel then that those in the church of Laodicea, you remember Laodicea, right? <laughs> because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and naked, blind. the church of the Laodiceans, they didn't quit professing to know the living God. They didn't profit, uh, quit professing to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But their heart was in the world. And their trust was in what they had in the world. They were lukewarm. solemn word the Lord says then I will spew thee out of my mouth a solemn thing what a solemn thing that is to hear the great difference between those who would vainly try and hold to the Lord with one hand and the world with the other and those who are truly redeemed from sin it always in the end manifests itself You know what one of the most precious words in the believer's vocabulary is? Redeemed. Redeemed. What a precious word to a true Christian. One who's been by God's grace saved from sin, saved from eternal destruction. Redeemed. Because there is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. Redeemed. Because the eternal God and the person of the Son paid the ultimate price to deliver from sin and bondage to it. From its vile filth. From the pit of destruction. Brings him or her to himself to be his, to belong to him, to be his forever. How precious are we who in Christ to him read the song of songs.
Read the Word of God. Read the gloriousness of everlasting love. Read what transformed the Apostle Paul from the most zealous advocate of Judaism to the point of wanting Christians dead to becoming the most zealous preacher of the gospel in the New Testament. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To love never before known that draws us to himself. No longer to be our own but to belong to him who died, rose again, ascended, and appears before the Father on our behalf. To this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord. Either Christ is your Lord, either he is your Lord, your master, or sin is your Lord, your master. One of the two. Either the Lord himself is the supreme object of your heart's love and your desire or the world and the things of it have your heart and your desires. Thus your treasure will either be in heaven or on the earth. And where your treasure is, where's your heart going to be? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. William Hendrickson observed that, quote, the tension that is built up in the soul of a person who imagines for a while that he will be able to love and serve both masters becomes so, uh, becomest, becomes so severe and unendurable that in attitude, word, and deed, he will sooner or later begin to show where his real allegiance lies. Either the one master or the other will win out. Actually, has been on top all the while. There's some powerful words. Sometimes very few words, but very powerful that the Lord Jesus Christ says three words powerful words were spoken by our Lord when he warned about the temporary condition of this life in which we're in and that he's surely to come and that no one will be able to keep what they have acquired in this world those three words Daniel taught about them you remember them Remember Lot's wife. That's powerful in context. Remember Lot's wife. 
her hand by an angel was grasped. She was literally pulled out of the doomed city of Sodom. Delivered out of it. The warning was given to her. Don't look back. If you look back, you're going to be in big trouble. You're going to be turned to a pillar of salt. Don't look back. But where was her treasure? Where was her treasure? It was in Sodom. That's where her heart was. And the heart desires, and the eyes desire to light upon that which the heart desires. What a tragic end she came to. On the other hand, listen to a man who seemed to have acquired everything he ever dreamed of in the world. And at one time, prized so highly... when a greater, more wondrous light entered into his soul. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Whatever this world has in store for us, if God is indeed the one we serve in Christ, if he has our heart, our desire, our time, our treasure, our talent, whatever he's given us, and the world takes our life, we'll be the gainer, the great gainer. Who do you serve? What do you serve? What has your heart? I'll leave that question with you.